Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Let's give a big hearty welcome to Pastor Dan as he comes. Well, good morning to all. It's a wonderful privilege uh, to be here. Uh, And uh, so, you know, I thought a lot about what I should talk to you about, and I realized that, um, you know, uh, there is this loss that you've had. There's also people that are sick. You've got a new property. I thought about that. And the more, the more that I uh, just thought about it and asked the Lord's help and figuring out what to bring to you today, I realized that maybe the best thing to do was give you a few moments of kind of a, a, a old man's a, a rambling through something uh, and, uh, and just try to be present to you and in some way say to you, the Lord is with you, do not fear. And uh, that's the message that I would like to give to you. And I, I know, and of course this message, I'll talk a little bit about some of the things God has been doing even in the midst of this uh, pandemic um, in, in terms of people called to deal with this. But um, uh, I have had three grandchildren that went through uh, covid uh, and, uh, and the last one was, of course, too young to, for, to be vaccinated and all that. So, and uh, so every day I called her and FaceTimed her, and and uh, I worried a little bit and prayed a lot, and and it was wonderful. Then the day that she got the all clear and uh, returned to school. So the Lord be with all of you that have loved ones and that are dealing with this. We thought it was over a few months ago. Um, but, uh, you know, we come to seasons sometimes that just seems unrelenting and there's this and that. And in the season that we're in, the tremendous political divisions in our country, the sicknesses, the global kind of interruption of trade and all those things, a lot of anger, a lot of hostility, a lot of rage, Uh, God's people are called to stand in the gap and pray and as much as lies within us to live at peace with everyone. That's what the Lord tells us. Uh, The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God, the Bible tells us. And so uh, we deflect anger with a soft answer as much as we can. Uh, We pray for our own selves. And this becomes then a transformative moment. Uh, Every generation, you know, of believers have to face their own moments where they are tried in the fire and each crisis in each generation differs somewhat. So preceding generations can give you some advice in general, but specifically they haven't faced many of the things that you face. Uh, things change. And, uh, you know, we can go back in the scripture, we can go all the way back through history, and we get instruction from the people that have lived before us, and, and it strengthens us and helps us and gives us uh, information that we need But many times uh, the situation is so different, we have to really work on applying the lessons that we learned from the past. And so everybody just, one, you have to learn your connection with God for yourself. Uh, You have to learn what God would want you to do uh, for yourself. And that brings us to our message today. I want to talk about Gideon. Uh, 
Um, let's, let's look at the passage. It's uh, Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. I think we have that on the screen. Is that right? Or do we? Okay. Oh, you didn't get it? I didn't send it to you? Oh, well, then I must not have put send. I do that a lot. Do you all ever text and, and you tell somebody, yeah, I, I, I answered that. And you go back and look, oh, you have to send, push send. Uh, so you've done that. Okay, well, that's good. Uh, let me, uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Orpha, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And we'll talk in a moment why he had to hide uh, threshing out the wheat. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Here's a guy that's hiding from his enemies, right? Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of Midianites. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. Notice that again. So he keeps saying, You mighty man of valor here, you've got might. And he's like, Really? Truly? <laughs> uh, go in this uh, might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And so he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my father's house. Manasseh was this little runt tribe. You can read about that. It's pretty interesting. Just He's basically saying I'm from a hick kind of place in the world. Um, and, uh, and my clan is the least, and I'm the least in my father's house. So I am, I am really very small and insignificant. I'm from Hickville, uh, and my clan is, is the least in this Hickville place, and also I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you will defeat the Midianites as one man. And then he said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, show me a sign that it is, who, that it is you who talk to me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come before you and bring up my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait till you come back. And so Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah flour. And the meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. And the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on the rock and pour out the broth. And he did. And the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand. He touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. Duh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like, watch this, and it's like, oh, this must be an angel of the Lord. I've never seen, uh, uh, you know, anybody around here do that. Uh, and Gideon perceived he was the angel of the Lord, and so Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, peace be with you. You will not fear. You shall not die. And Gideon built an altar there to the Lord. And he called it, the Lord is peace. Uh, I want to, I, I, let's, let's give this a title because you can kind of remember. And by the way, you don't, if, if, don't beat up on yourself if you can't remember sermons. Preachers can't remember their own sermons. Uh, but uh, our minds come and go. That's just the way we're, we're made, you know. And, 
you know, there's a line here and a clever line there, and then there's a story. And, and, but the, the important thing is that, that uh, you keep coming back. Uh, and you, you, you grab on to what you can, uh, and you pay as close attention as you can, and uh, that somehow in this communication, the Lord gives you what you need. And somewhere between what I say and what you hear, the Lord crafts. I don't know how many years now, how many people have come to me and said, wow, when you preached that sermon and I got this thing, it utterly transformed my life. I'm like, well, I don't remember that at all. Uh, and, and I'll go back and I'll look at my notes and I'm like, I didn't even talk about that. Uh, so, you know, it's all good. Uh, it's a transformative moment. Good for you. Good for me. So I want to talk to you about face to face. It's a line here. Uh, Gideon says, I've seen the Lord face to face. And I want to refer to one of the most praised, but least read of C.S. Lewis's uh, uh, books called Till We Have Faces. And in, in the book, Till We Have Faces, he reworks an old myth uh, to teach some uh, spiritual lessons. And one of the, the great lines that's always remembered from that book is the heroine says, how can we know God face to face until we have faces? And I want to talk about that in connection with Gideon and what God wants to do with each of us. So here the angel of the Lord comes and said, hey, you that is scared, you know, if you read in the context, the book of Judges is a time, it's, it's some of our most powerful and interesting stories come from the book of Judges. But over and over it says in the book of Judges, there was no uh, law. There was, uh, there was not a too much word from the Lord. The people forgot the ways of God. And over and over this line, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Judges is a collection of stories where people do their best to follow the Lord but have no instruction in the ways of the Lord. So this is not a Bible reading, carefully studying the Word of God, carefully applying the Word of God to life kind of time in Israel. This is a time when people in general worship the Lord, but they also kind of borrow from the heathen in their ways. And, and you have all kinds of weird and bad things happening in the book of Judges that's very hard to describe. I mean, just try reading to a Sunday school class about Samson. And Samson was at the house of prostitution, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and said, like, okay, back up, back up, back up, back up. Or uh, Jephthah that says, I'm going to sacrifice. If the Lord had given me this victory, I will sacrifice the first thing that I see when I come back. To, and it's his daughter that runs out, and so she's sacrificed. This is, none of this is what God taught the people of Israel to live like. And it's kind of encouraging to know that even, even when uh, people of God go into these periods to where they're not carefully studying the words of God, God does not forsake them. They're still God's people. And he visits them and gets them through that phase. And sometimes generations will pass before there's a renewal of the word of God. So we're, we're God's people even when we're not kind of walking uprightly. Uh, and and that's, that's the way of understanding the book of Judges. This is a time to when Joshua is dead, of course, and, uh, and so God's word has been kind of lost and in decline. The people are, are now rooting themselves in this land that God has given them, but they're surrounded by their enemies. 
And little by little, their enemies take back over. So now uh, the, the enemies of God, which are several, the different tribes of people around them, are not allowing them to have their own swords, their own uh, farming uh, uh, utensils. They come and take their stuff. It's just a difficult time. And so that is why Gideon is hiding out from the Midianites. That's the people that's oppressing uh, his folks on the, the tribe of Manasseh. And uh, he is hiding out uh, so he can thresh out a little bit of, his, of, of, of the grain that he's grown to, uh, so his family will have food. And in this context, the angel of the Lord comes to him and said, Oh, Gideon, mighty man of valor. And he says, uh, wrong guy. Uh, some other Gideon, some other place. Like I said, here's the things he says. Why is this, all this happening? Uh, where are God's mighty deeds? My clan is the least in all this little clan of Manasseh. I am the least in my father's house. I'm not your guy. Uh, and, and so Gideon is not the stuff of leadership. Humanly speaking, and I can tell you of pastoring many, many years, we all tend to do this. When somebody comes into the church or they're new to the Lord even, and we say, oh, they're such a great leader because they've grown this business or they're, uh, they've got this great talent or, you know, they have this kind of background. But over and over in the scripture, the Lord says, you know, uh, yes, people have natural gifts, and, I, and we don't discount them, but at the same time, God can call nearly any kind of personality into very high levels of leadership. And this is what's happening with Gideon, mighty man of valor. And so all of these excuses notwithstanding, uh, then God begins to work with Gideon. Now let me tell you what C.S. Lewis had in mind when he, when he had that when he uh, has this statement in the mouth of this heroine uh, that how can we know God face to face till we have faces. You may not know this, but in the ancient world, uh, the word person was never applied to individuals. There were no persons in the ancient world. There were only family fragments and fragments of clan and nation. Even when I was a little boy to many nations of the world, particularly outside of North America and Western Europe, if you wanted to send a letter to someone, you would say like, uh, you know, Russia, Moscow, uh, uh, Proyenskyov Street, uh, number 642, apartment four, uh, Shmermakov, and then Boris. So last name, uh, the first name is last. Uh, so it, it makes some sense. I'm going to send a letter somewhere. It goes to the nation, then the city, then the street. But in, uh, in, uh, in Europe and uh, in North America, that's reversed and has been. And, of course, that's mostly the norm around the world now. Why is that? There's a reason. There's a story behind it. And it has something to do with Gideon. The word person was first used in the uh, first three centuries of the Christian era as the church began to wrestle with what does it mean that we believe that God is one and yet somehow he's also three? And how do we describe the relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit inside the Godhead? What, does that, what do we do with that? And so uh, in the Latin language, we borrowed the word persona, 
Personare, per means through, sonare means uh, to sound, personare means to sound through, and it was what was used at the mask in the drama when the players would play on the, uh, and they would play out the various characters. You only had a handful of actors, and sometimes they were playing two or three parts in the, in the drama. They'd go back in the back, grab another persona, and come out and present themselves differently. And so the early church borrowed that word, uh, and and defined it differently than a mask. It's much more than a mask. It's kind of the center of personality uh, and and uh, uh, and the essence of that person. Meanwhile, in Greek, which was the other side of the empire, they used the word prosopon, which means face. And these ideas got fused. The idea of a mask and a face that a that our face shows who we are in our completeness. And so as people begin to think of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, persons of the divine Godhead, so that a person of the Father was different than the person of the Son, was different than the person of the Holy Spirit, we have lots of things rolled up in there. One, you can have unity but difference. You can have difference and still have unity. Other cultures of the world to this very day hasn't really got that. Unity means uniformity. If you're in unity with me, you think like I do, you act like I do, you have all the tastes I do, you do things like I do it. That's unity. No, no. Christians begin to realize that in God, there could be unity and difference. That somehow uni- that difference could be wrapped up in unity and there could be difference even among people and yet have unity. Aren't you glad for that? So, as people begin to reflect on that, it, they, be, they made another revolutionary step. And that is, if God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are persons, and, they, and it's the essence of their personality, and, and, and uh, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are different than one another, and yet in unity, and yet one God, is it possible that God has not called each of his people to become persons? And little by little, people begin to think about as individuals as more than a fragment of a clan or a nation or a tribe, but to be persons. And, and here, here's what I like. Lots of people might not like to hear this, but I'll just say this. People, individuals are potential persons, not necessarily persons. People become persons as they are called out and uh, from uh, family and clan and nation, like Abraham was, like Moses was, like all the characters of the Bible were. Go back through the Bible and you will see this again and again, God calling people out. Most of the time, he's not calling them out so that they will not be connected anymore to their family or clan, but he calls them out to, re- to shape them in unique ways to f- create in them a face so that they can meet God face to face. So isn't that what God says about Moses at the end? I'm going to raise up all kind of prophets in history, and they're all going to be speaking for me, but none will be like Moses with whom I speak face to face. Now, what do you have in all of this? As you, begin, as you begin to look at this, you begin to realize that God is after something very, very important in, uh, in walking with each one of us. God's not after making us into the Stedford wives. Yeah. You remember in this, uh, particularly in the version in 2004, uh, you know, you've got the Stedford wives were this kind of uh, beautiful kind of subdivision. 
And uh, uh, Bette Midler is, is, uh, moves in with her husband uh, to, this, uh, to this subdivision and notices all the women are absolutely stunningly beautiful. They wait on their husband hands and, hand and foot. Uh, they, they anticipate his every desire and need, and there they are right on the spot all the time. Well, Bette Midler's husband is like, this is a good place to live. Uh, there's a culture here that I just feel drawn toward in some way. And so you begin to watch in this movie as the movie goes on, and little by little you're amazed to find out all the guys are interested in whom? Bette Midler. Because she's sassy and she's like, I don't agree with that, Joe. I'm like, what? Because this is not done. Well, we find out later that the real wives are all, all down in the basement, you know, in this kind of uh, coma state, and they've made uh, androids based on th- those wives. They look like them. They have all their good attributes, but they, they don't disagree with their husbands in, in any way whatsoever. That doesn't sound like you think that's a good idea. That's kind of, it's, what, it's what I'm feeling right now in this moment, the kind of sense of rejection of this idea. Well, what that's really, what's the funny part of this movie, of course, is that little by little, the guys, they're, they're, uh, they're looking at Bette Midler, who is sassy and kind of uh, has a different opinion. And, 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 and it's, uh, that's a picture of what I'm getting at today. God in calling us wants us to voluntarily submit to him and love him, but he is not calling us to be automatons and robots. In the Bible, it's astounding to me that in the book of Job, that Job has all this sickness and going on, and all of his friends begin to come around him, and they have the most beautiful, wonderful theological statements about how good God is and how Job must have sinned against God somehow in his life. Job says, I, you know, I, I, I don't see it. I've tried to keep, uh, I've been upright before the Lord. I've done this. It's, this goes on and on and on. And fi- Job is really losing his cool. And finally, he says these kind of chilling things. He says, uh, I mean, what's one to do with God? He's the judge. He's the prosecuting attorney. He's, uh, uh, he's the jury. I mean, if, if, uh, if, if somebody was upset with me, I could go get a judge somewhere between us. But who do you call on if you've got trouble with God? I mean, God's the judge. So what do you do? And that's, that's Job's take on the matter. So uh, all the rest of them say, we're going to back away from you now. Uh, because you're, you know, you're completely, uh, you have lost completely your connection with God. God shows up, chapter 38, and and first he talks to Job and he says, you know, where were you when I created the worlds and I spun stars into existence? And he tells all the things he did in creation. He said, if I would have had your wisdom then, I would have done a lot better job. Evidently, hearing you, I could have done. Uh, I could have created the universe in a lot better way if I'd have just had your help. And Job says these wonderful words. He says, "I think I will put my hand over my mouth and speak no more." And like, good call. On, yeah, good call. But then God says to his friends, "The only righteous person here is Job." And that always astounds me. I'm like, let me go back and look at this again. Because this one says God is good and you are not. This one says if you, you, every one of them are championing God's ways. Job is the one that's questioning and says, I don't get it. Job is the only one who can face God face to face. 
because he's the only one with a face. He has grown a face. It's a most astounding thing. Abraham, God comes to Abraham and says, the people of Sodom are very wicked. I'm going to burn them all up. I'm going to destroy them. So kind of Stedford wife version of being a godly person, like good call, God. That's too bad, but bless her hearts. Well, all right then. No. Job says, whoa, 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 whoa. What if there's 50 righteous people there? Well, now that I think about it, I didn't think about that before, but there might be. So God's going through all this. Abraham keeps pushing and pushing. And in the middle of that, Abraham says these words to God. Will not the judge of the whole earth do what's right? Far be it from you to do this thing. Don't do this. God didn't say, let me just remind you who's in control here. I'm big, you're tiny. I'll smash you like a bug. You know, I just was being nice to you to tell you what I wanted to do. None of that. God says, I love you. Abraham has a face. Gideon doesn't have a face here yet. I'm just this least little guy. I tell you what, if you're really the Lord, make it rain tomorrow, but on my little sheepskin, let it be dry. Isn't that a cool sign? So that God decrees the whole universe says, yeah, I can accomplish that. So it comes a lot like, cool, this is dry, that's wet. Wow. I tell you what, next day, let's do it the reverse. You make it wet, and you can, can you rain on this little spot here? I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And it's many times, I think, in our infancy of our faith, God does exactly these things like this for us. But the aim is to grow us up. And how do we grow? Through challenges we think we cannot overcome. Through long seasons of things, through besetting sins that we can't get hold of and for which it humble us and for which we need God's help intently and we keep crying out to God. How do we grow a face and become a person? I mean, we're never going to join the Godhead. But we become friends with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I didn't see what time I started. That's a, not a bad. That's a bad sign right there. Uh, I'll, I'll wrap this up in a moment. Um, I, I did uh, some years of comparative religion studies, and uh, I was amazed to find that in Buddhism, Buddhism have very similar ethics to Christians in terms of lying and caring for others and all that. And so many times those comparisons are made in the practice uh, out in the world of what Christians are called to do and Buddhists are called to do. But there's a very drastic difference in the way Buddhists uh, see things at the core and how Christians do. Buddhists believe that a human being is like a raindrop and the more the human being understands the ways uh, of, I won't say God, but the more they understand how things really are, the raindrop goes into the ocean and disappears. So the aim of Buddhism is to lose one's personality and to become part of the whole. 
And this is exactly the opposite of what Christians believe. Christians believe that God calls us out, makes a relationship with us, and then asks us to rejoin community. So that seeds is not just melting everybody down into a goo. It's calling people to be what God has called each of you to be. And you are growing in God in your own way. You have an individual journey with God and a collective journey with God. And some of the things are the same and some of the things are different. And you come and you sometimes there's difference of opinion and sometimes you walk through that. But in all of this, God's calling each of us to keep growing and help each other grow so that we're not only face-to-face with God, but face-to-face with one another. So that we're persons in relationship to one another. Not because I have to be or because I would be a nobody if I weren't here. Or No, it's, it's so that uh, I can also give of the gifts that God has given me and receive the gifts of others. And we grow together in God who is growing us not just in this life, but in time and eternity to uh, have a face-to-face with Him. I've got about five more minutes. I want to tell you about two friends of mine. One, uh, about uh, 12 years ago, uh, I was asked uh, with a small group of, um, uh, of pastors, not pastors, theologians and, uh, and philosophers and, uh, and the team of the Genome Project uh, that worked on the Human Genome Project in, uh, when was that, 1998, I think. And uh, there was 20 of us. And we met together uh, on Galliano Island in British Columbia uh, to talk about um, the implications of, of what would happen as, as the... As the uh, populations of our countries began to understand the implications of of what had been learned on the Human Genome Project, that basically at the core of all human life and all biological life on the planet is a language, a language that can be translated like any language, and uh, that's, of course, the DNA. And I began to talk to different ones, and there was one scientist that I met, That her name was uh, Bim Kuliat, and uh, she's Filipino, and she's just delightful. And, and uh, she lives now in Oak Ridge, and she works for the government. Um, and uh, she was on the Human Genome Project. Uh, she's called the Gene Sleuth because she can find the sequencing of, of different genes, and she's often called to work in that. Uh, she discovered, she's famous in that community for having discovered the um, sequence for cleft palate. Uh so she has a secret she can't share with hardly anybody in the scientific world. When she's a little girl in the Philippines, her mother was severely mentally ill and was running through the house with a butcher knife and she hit her little sister and she's in the closet and she's afraid her sister would cry. And she heard the voice of God. You will not die. God's, I'm going to use you. And she heard the voice of God. And and uh, so she asked the Lord to keep her sister silent, which the Lord did. So she keeps growing in the Lord, and, and then she becomes a scientist and then ends up in, in uh, genetic research. The cleft palate 
um, she found it. I mean, when we talk about gene sequencing, we're talking about enormous amount of data. And this is all new to us, new, new to the scientific world even. It's very difficult to find things. She sought the Lord in fasting and prayer. And the Lord revealed to her in a dream what to look for. She said that wasn't the hard part. The next morning she went and found, found the sequencing. She had to now kind of backtrack and figure out how to explain to others how she got there without any reference to God and so forth. Um, because, of course, it's scientific community. And she, that's, that was her, what she was uh, noted for was this paper that she had done. And it's a breakthrough in GNA research, DNA research. Um, so she says, here's the deal. I worship with people in East Tennessee who love me and serve me. They have not only no idea what I do, they don't have any interest in what I do. They would not see this as spiritual work and they wouldn't understand that God has called me to do the work I do. But said in among the scientists, I'm also not in community really because to them, they wouldn't understand if I told them, yeah, I sought the Lord and he gave me this sequence. Another friend of mine is in Vanderbilt University and she is um, assigned to... Uh, to, be, to mentor uh, PhD uh, students in neurobiology. And she's an expert in RNA research. She's a spirit-filled Christian, goes to an area church, worships the Lord. She's in the same position. She sought the Lord and worked hard, especially when this viral stuff started, that God would give an answer You've got brothers and sisters at work in the scientific community, in the medical community and doing treatment for people, in the political community, uh, and they're there because the Lord Sovereign God called them there and gave them spiritual gifts because that is their face. God doesn't call everybody to be a missionary. He called me to be a missionary greatest privilege of my life God hasn't called all of us to be worship leaders and aren't they the best when you grow in God it doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily have a position in the church you might sometimes God calls you to these difficult in between places to where it's difficult for you to explain all that God has done for you and why But when you meet these people, like Bim especially, Trish can tell you, she's just so kind and sweet, just so dear and humble of heart. And the tears come down when she says, just think that little girl hiding in the closet and all that the Lord has done. But it's a testimony that can't really be shared because many of us would not understand it or affirm it. But as we grow, we begin to not only accept that God has called us to unique things and to do unique things and to walk in unique ways, we begin to have the capacity to see that God may be at work in our brothers and sisters who are doing things that are far afield of what we would normally have thought is God's work. 
God's desire is not to just save us and whisk us out of here so he can burn everybody up. God's desire is that the earth be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. And he does that by taking us and making us ambassadors in the banking business, the medical field, field of mathematics, business management, political life, prayer, and he gives us the gifts we need for that place. And more importantly than the gifts, he uses this to mold us so that we can come before him face to face and we come before one another face to face. The Apostle Paul writes about it all in 1 Corinthians. He gives this gift here, this gift there, this gift there. He points people to this, he points people to that. And together, he makes us the body of Christ and a conduit through which he blesses and changes the world in which we live. God's blessing be with you all. Let's pray. And then Pastor Dan, I might have you come back up here and, and just give the benediction and ask a blessing over us. Heavenly Father, we have heard your word in the scripture and also through your servant Dan this morning. And I pray, God, that we don't walk out of here having it gone in one ear and out the other. But we hear what it is the Spirit is saying to each of us. And it might have been something that was actually said from Pastor Dan's mouth or actually read from the Word of God, or it might have been something that you said to us, and it's something that he didn't even say. But Lord, we take your words and we ask you to change us through your word. That when we walk out of these doors, we will not be the same people as when we walked in here. Help us discover what it means to be face to face with you. Help us discover what it means to have our own face, that you, the, the face that you have given to us. Help us discover that. And help us come face to face with one another, God. That we can walk past the barriers of, of timidity. That we can walk past the barriers of shame. That we can walk past the barriers of what are people going to think. We can walk past the barriers of, of vulnerability. And we can truly come face to face with you and to with one another. As we pray that your kingdom comes from heaven to earth. In the name of Jesus. Lord, keep calling us. Not only out of our sin and society that is far from you, but even from the good communities that we're in for those moments to where we are face to face with you. And like Gideon, help us to move from these kind of places of even false humility to where we think we have nothing to offer, nothing to give. Or perhaps from false pride to where we have the wrong things to give or the wrong things to offer. And help us little by little as we walk with you 
to be transformed in your image so that in our character and face there is reflected the goodness, the graciousness, the goodness, the life-giving joy of God. Be with this people. Let this be a place where your light shines and those who are far off can come and hear the voice of God to them as it came to Gideon. I am with you. Be not afraid. Come on a journey with me, and I will make you into what you were designed to be before the foundation of the world. Amen. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.